Chapter 2 Why Am I Even Working? Truth number one God always takes care of the needs of His children. You do not work to earn a living, you must depend on God. Before we even address that statement, you must define what is a living? Will you base your definition on our culture, the world standard, urban, rural, now, the time of Paul's ministry, youthful energy, senior slowdown, industry standards, government stability, social security, your best years, your worst years, your desires, reality, or just what? All right, that's not working. So let's just establish a number of dollars that will do the job. How about minimum wage, your maximum value, more than you made on your last job, more than your parents made, what your friends make, the most your boss will pay, your needs, your wants, $100,000 a day, $1 a day, or just what? Our next question is, who defines your living? Good question. Answer, your Heavenly Father is who takes care of all His children according to their needs. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or, What shall we drink? Or, What shall we wear? For after all these things the pagans seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew 6, 31-33 If we insist on believing that we must work to earn a living, what happens to this belief when we can't work for physical or medical reasons, when we are unemployed, when we are children, when we are very old, or when we just can't find work? What happens to our identity during those times, notwithstanding our ability to earn a living? In fact, nothing at all changes except whom we have been depending on for our living and identity. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 Are you now a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, go back to chapter 1 and re-listen. If so, are you now in full-time Christian ministry? If the answer to the first question is yes, then yes is also the answer to the second. I say this because the last thing Jesus told His disciples to do was to go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 18-20 Another way to say this is, while you are going, make disciples. The going that usually consumes about 65% or more of our waking hours is our work, and our workplace is our mission field. We have to be careful here that we don't believe that our work earns us salvation and eternal life. Titus 3, 5, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 because that is what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ bought us. And Jesus wants what he paid for. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. Luke 24, 46 and 47. So if we don't work to earn a living, then why do we work? We work because we are commanded to. God set the example for us in the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God worked, and He works now. 
He also established the rhythm for our work and rest by His example in Genesis 2, 2, and 3. Immediately after creating mankind, God gave us work, Genesis 1, 27-28, even though we had every good thing we needed for a living right there in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1, 29. Just as soon as the first man, Adam, was created, God gave him a temporary assignment to name all the animals, and a permanent assignment to tend the garden, Genesis 2, 19 and 2, 15. Our Father gave this work to us, and it was good, because He said that everything He created was very good, Genesis 1, 31. So God is good, and our work is good, but we are still commanded to work even though God has provided everything we need for life and living. Our work is still good after the fall of man, but it is now hard, Genesis 3, 17-19. Nevertheless, we work because we are commanded to. We are to work alongside God in His work. Jesus Himself said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. John 5, 19. Stop believing the lie and start walking in the truth. We should feel as uncomfortable saying we work to earn a living as saying we work to go to heaven. Truth number two. God assumes full responsibility for the results of your obedient work. You can never know in advance God's exchange rate for your obedience. There is no cause and effect relationship between how hard you work and how much you receive in return. There are now over 7 billion people on the earth. If we used a supercomputer to program every bit of work accomplished by those masses of people versus the financial return they each received for their labor, there would be no correlation between the difficulty of the work, hours expended, risk of life, or any other factor, and the amount of financial return. Such cause and effect reasoning leaves God out of the equation, and He just won't stand for that. It may work for a short time, but you might also win in Las Vegas for a few rolls. But in the long run, you will lose. Consider what the Lord said in Haggai 1, 6. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Also consider what the Lord said to those who disobey Him in Deuteronomy 28, 38-42. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil or your olives shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. When the Lord ordains to show His favor on something, nothing and no one in the world can stop it from prospering. Conversely, when the Lord removes His favor, it will not produce. We are just tenders of His garden. He is the master gardener. He plants, uproots, and harvests at His will.
When we persist in believing the lie that harder work produces greater return, it will adversely affect our planning. We either plan based on priorities, motives, values, principles, integrity, relationships, etc., or outcomes, income, our goals, whatever it takes, etc. The Lord is intimately involved in the former manner of planning, but is easily cast aside in the latter. He knows he will be cast aside, so out of love for his children, he thwarts those plans that don't begin with a commitment to him. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. Psalm 37, 4-5 It is a joy to make plans in the Lord and confess to Him that He is totally responsible for the results. Or we can believe the lie and stay in bondage. What do you choose, bondage or joy? The Word tells us that we are to work diligently, not to store up earthly treasure, but rather to glorify God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Colossians 3, 23-25 Stop believing the lie and start walking in the truth. Harder work does not guarantee greater return. Only greater trust and obedience to the Lord produces a greater reward. Truth number three. God created your value based upon what He knows and says about you, not based upon the work that you do. The product of your work has no intrinsic value, value in and of itself, only the process. The lie here is that I should put my focus on what I achieve, produce, or complete, no matter what it takes. The ends justify the means is anti-biblical. The means, process of doing our work, is an end unto itself. It is not the fruit of our labor that produces significance, but the focus of our labor. The Holy Spirit is the only one who bears fruit that lasts. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Paul explained to us the foundational process of our work in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, when he wrote, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Peter also gives us guidance on this truth in 2 Peter 3, 10-11, where he wrote, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Once again, Paul gives us an accounting of his life and all the products of his work when he says in Philippians 3, 7-8, But what things were gained to me, these have I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, 
that I may gain Christ. Our work is all about focus. The secular is spiritual when our focus is on the Lord, His rewards, and His eternal kingdom. Conversely, the spiritual becomes secular when the focus of our work in our life is on those things temporal. Stop believing the lie and start walking in the truth. The only work that has value is that work which makes it through the refiner's fire, relationships with Jesus and others. Matthew 22, 37-40 Truth number four. Your work, or lack of it, does not determine your worth, value, or significance. Significance can never be found in the kind of work you do, but only in a personal relationship with your Heavenly Father through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What is the source of your sense of significance? Do you take some pride and care in selecting your job, career, title, industry, profession, colleagues, position, status, income, benefits, socioeconomic status, or neighborhood? If any of these really matter to you, then you are probably in bondage to the lie of where and whom your significance comes from. If you allow even a small part of your significance to be determined by any of these things, what happens to your significance when that thing is taken away? Do you become insignificant until you get hold of it again? Some people have jumped out of high windows because they lost their jobs, reputations, incomes, or for any of a number of foolish reasons. In Jeremiah 9.23-24, the Lord tells us the major lies that man grabs hold of for significance. Wealth, wisdom, and power, and most of us search for these in the kind of work we do. But the Lord said of our boasting, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight says the Lord. God's children are always significant to Him because He created us in His image and declared us to be of eternal worth. So valuable are we that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, the Christ, to pay our sin debt and reconcile us back to the Father. John 3.16 How significant does that make us? Nothing we have or don't have on this earth can alter our significance in any way. God told us through Paul in Romans 8, 16, and 17 that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. As we are heirs to all the immeasurable wealth of the universe, how is it that we should respond? Why are we working so hard to get what we already have? Since we're getting it all someday, and yes, even have full access to it now, anything that our Father wants us to do to learn His operation from the ground up should be okay with us, right? Our significance is not to be found in the kind of work we do, or even in our spiritual gifts, but solely in being a part of the family of God by His choice. John 15:16. Stop believing the lie and start walking in the truth. Our work will never give us significance. Only our Heavenly Father does by a reborn life in Christ Jesus. Truth number five. God is self-sufficient and does not need your help or work. 
you can contribute nothing to the work of God. It is your privilege, however, to join Him where He is working. God is self-sufficient and needs help from no one to complete what He has said will happen. After all, He spoke the whole universe into existence. There is no power in heaven or on earth that can stop the smallest particle of His will from being done. In Isaiah 46, 9-10, God has declared, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And again, in Psalm 115, 3, But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. God's children have a great privilege to participate with Him in His work, but they can contribute nothing. It is like a master mechanic who calls to his five-year-old son to come help him work on the family car. The five-year-old is so proud to be asked to help Daddy and will jump right in if encouraged and might even give his opinion from time to time, but can really contribute nothing to the work being done. God has infinite wisdom far greater than a master mechanic, and we are infinitely less able to contribute to God than this child to his daddy. Those of us who believe God needs us to help him or do something for him will go about work, even very good work, with an attitude and motives that will separate us from God. We will establish our own goals, make them a top priority in our lives, and ultimately compromise the very commandments of God to accomplish them. If we happen to be in leadership positions, instead of building up disciples of Christ, we will end up using these same people to build up our organizations. We will become extremely concerned over image, status, position, power, and appearances when God may have ordained that in using us for His glory, the opposite will happen. We will then fight Him harder and even complain about others and to Him that He is not getting with the program. Consider Martha in Luke 10, 38-42. Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Our agenda is not God's agenda. His mind is above ours and His thoughts beyond our understanding. So if we are doing anything that God isn't doing, then we're fighting against His will. We will fail and also be disobedient in the process. Even Jesus didn't try that. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. John 5:19. And by Myself I can do nothing. For I seek not to please Myself, but Him who sent Me. John 5:30. Stop believing the lie and start walking in the truth. God doesn't need or want us to work for Him, but gives us the privilege of working with Him to build His kingdom for His glory. 
We have presented many truths on work. Now let us consider the truths of rest. Truth number six. The Sabbath rest is a day of holiness and reflection and rest in God, not a specific day of the week. There is no specific day of rest mandated for you in the New Testament, just the seventh day. In Genesis 2-2, God gave us his example of the rhythm that he built into mankind, and then he reconfirmed this rhythm in Exodus 20:11 with the commandment to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Paul spoke some strong words about being idle, 1 Timothy 5.13, and making the best use of our time, Ephesians 5.16, but also cautioned, Colossians 2.16, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. I am certainly appreciative of all the police officers, fire personnel, doctors, paramedics, utility workers, and many others who work on a day that I consider my Sabbath rest. And the truth that we are presenting here is not that we shouldn't honor the Sabbath and rest, but that the day that we determine to be our Sabbath is up to God and ourselves. In Jewish culture, the Sabbath is from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. In most of the Western world, if a Sabbath is even honored, it is usually Sunday. According to the Bible, the day is up to us. There is much to be said, though, for the Old Testament wisdom on the subject. In Isaiah 58, 13-14, we are told, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not going your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And we see an example of fearing that God will not take care of us when we take a Sabbath rest in the example of the manna in the wilderness in Exodus 16, 19-27. When the children try to keep over some of the manna for the next day, it spoiled. But when God told them to keep it over for the Sabbath rest, it did not spoil. But for those who went out to find it on the Sabbath, worked, they could find none. Both of these violations of the Sabbath were unsuccessful, showed disobedience, and angered God. The bottom line? Worship God regularly every week by intentionally and purposefully setting aside every seventh day to rest and to honor Him, reflecting on how very good He is and thanking Him for who He is and all the good things He did the previous week. Stop believing the lie and start walking in the truth. If you can't honor God on Sunday as your Sabbath, regularly set aside another day every week as your Sabbath rest. Truth number seven, rest is worship. You should invest your Sabbath rest in acts of service and worship. Rest should be an act of worship for you. In Luke 6, 5, Jesus said, The Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Be active in this rest as a worshiper and not a sluggard. If you work and play so hard for six days of the week, that you can only sleep on your day of Sabbath rest, it is not really a Sabbath unto the Lord. The Sabbath is His day, set aside to honor Him, not us. In Romans 12.1 we are told, I beseech you therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Are you offering your body, all of you, to God on your day of Sabbath rest? Are you worshiping Him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Or are you just going through the motions, making an appearance, putting in time? We are told in Colossians 3.23, And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men. Are you honoring God on His Sabbath day heartily, not caring what others think? In a very practical sense, we can become so busy in our times of leisure that we must get back to work to catch up on our rest. This is when we overschedule vacations and jam activities into all of our spare time. There is no spare time. We all have just the number of days God has given us for His purpose. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Psalm 139.16 Work, leisure, wealth, and life itself are all gifts from God. Be generous with all of these. Don't hoard. Engage in active leisure with your emotions and intellect, not just the physical. Stop believing the lie and start walking in the truth. Your leisure time is not your own. Honor the Lord of the Sabbath by worshiping Him heartily. Truth number eight. Working and resting should be equal acts of worship. Your rest contributes no more or less than your work in the economy of God. Abraham had just received a vision from the Lord concerning his life, family, and legacy for generations and for all of mankind. He had not done anything in response to that except one thing, and this was said of him in Genesis 15.6. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. When we put our full trust in believing in the Lord and what he is doing, it does not matter what we are doing, resting or working. If we believe that working is more sacred than resting, then when we can't work for whatever reason, we will feel worthless in God's, man's, and our own eyes. Rest is not valid because it is a means to accomplish labor. Nowhere in the Word does God teach that a man should rest in order to work, nor that he should work in order to rest. Balance is the key, and the knowledge that God wants us to worship Him all the time, no matter what we are or are not doing. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. John 4.24 Stop believing the lie and start walking in the truth. Holiness and faithfulness to God are not determined by whether we are at work or at rest. Trust, balance, and worship are the key issues. Truth number nine. Good news. You never retire from serving and worshiping God. Your rest is not related to your finances. Rest in all its forms, physical, Sabbath, and eternal, is a gift from God and not the fruit of financial gain. Having plenty of money does not entitle anyone to a life of leisure, though most people feel the rich deserve to take it easy. In 1 Corinthians 4.7, this is all put into God's perspective. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? God gives to one person the ability to gain wealth, and to another he gives the ability to live without wealth. 
It is all a matter of stewardship. We are managers of all we have and not owners. And as in the parable of the talents, Matthew 25:14-30, we will be held accountable for everything we have been given. Also, as Jesus sat opposite the temple treasury, Mark 12:41-44, observing the many rich people who gave and the widow with two pennies, he said that we will be held accountable not only for what we give, but also for what we keep. Another closely connected truth is that the accumulation of time or money does not entitle anyone to retire from work. The Bible only references the issue of retirement once that I can find, Numbers 8, 24-26, and that is in the context of the service of the Levites in the tabernacle of meeting. They were allowed to perform this service only between the ages of 25 to 50 years, but after this were only allowed to minister to the needs of their fellow Levites. The command to work for six days and rest on the seventh is a lifelong commitment. We may be asked or want to leave a certain assignment because of health or age reasons, but it should never be related to finances or our personal desires. We never retire from the work of the Lord until He gives us the broken gold watch. Time in eternity is no more. Stop believing the lie and start walking in the truth. The condition of our bank book does not determine the condition of our work or rest. In giving honor where honor is due, we must acknowledge and give appreciation for the solid work and permission of Vision Foundation through their booklet, Why Go to Work? For these first nine truths. Their work has been a foundation for my work, and we partner in presenting these truths to you. Final Thoughts No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. 2 Timothy 2.4 We can summarize all that we have learned in these first nine truths into a covenant understanding. God established many covenants with his children with Adam for marriage, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David, the new covenant by the blood of Jesus. In any covenant, God establishes the terms and the if-then requirements. We do not typically think about a covenant of work, but there is one. God's covenant relationship with His children in the marketplace is based on our relationship to Him, the rights He gives us, and the responsibilities that He will help us meet. Review this summation and pray that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth as you walk in this covenant. A. Our relationship with God as a covenant partner. God established the pattern for His children by working, from the beginning, and resting. This rhythm is defined by His fourth commandment and refers back to His original pattern, Genesis 1-1, 2-2, and Exodus 20, 8-11. God created man in his own image and immediately gave him work to do, have dominion and rule over the earth and all the creatures, work the land and take care of it, and name all the animals. Genesis 1, 26, 2, 15, and 2, 20. God created work as good in creation, but as a result of the fall of man, work became hard and troubles, difficulties and painful toil became a necessary condition of our work. But work is still good. Genesis 3, 17-19 God declares any and all work not done in relationship with Him to be meaningless 
and a chasing after the wind. But he also promises that to the one who works in relationship with Christ to please God the Father, he will give wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. He also declares that a man should find satisfaction in this toilsome labor and see it as a gift from God. For through this work, God provides for a man's wealth, possessions, and the ability to enjoy them. Ecclesiastes 2, 17-26 and 5, 18-20 B. Our rights from God as a covenant partner God declares that we have a right to expect that when we consider everything we do as working under Him, He is the Master, commit all that we do to Him in planning, His will be done, and work with Him by delighting in His presence, join Him where He is working, then He will give us the desires of our hearts, our passions, our plans will succeed in kingdom terms, and we will have an inheritance from Him as our reward, eternal treasures that He keeps for us, and that will never be taken away. Psalm 37, 4-5, Proverbs 16, 3, and Colossians 3, 23 and 24. God also promises that if we work in an intimate relationship with Christ as led by the Holy Spirit and use the resources He has already given us, skills, talents, and gifts, He will meet all our practical needs according to His resources. He will free us from all worry and anxiety. He will return what we give to Him and more. He will promote us to greater responsibility. He will give us abilities that others don't use faithfully. He will take complete responsibility for every result and outcome of our work. And He will keep for us our precious treasures laid up in His heart. Matthew 6, 33-34, Philippians 4, 19, Matthew 25, 14-30, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and Matthew 6, 19-21. God declares that when we recognize that our primary assignment in this world is to worship Him and make disciples as we are going— then we can be assured that He will always be with us to the end. He will give us the wisdom and strength to do everything that is according to His will. He will enable us to work as a servant to others in any situation without shame. He will be a fellow worker with us in our labor, and He will make sure we are rewarded according to our contributions and that this reward will be more than adequate for our labors. Matthew 28, 18-20, James 1, 5, Philippians 4, 12-13, 1 Peter 2, 18-21, 1 Corinthians 3, 5-9, and 1 Timothy 5, 18. C. Our responsibilities to God as a covenant partner. We must consider our work as a spiritual worship by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice and to test and approve God's will in and for our work. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Give ourselves fully to the Lord's work. 1 Corinthians 15, 15, commit all our plans to the Lord, trusting Him and working diligently in all things. Proverbs 16, 3, submit to the Holy Spirit manifesting spiritual gifts through us, the body of Christ, and prepare others for us. Ephesians 4, 11-13, glorify God by completing the work He created us to do, fulfill our purpose. John 17, 4, no longer live, work, for ourselves, but for Him who died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.15 Work at everything we do with all our heart working for the Lord. Colossians 3.23-24 Seek for kingdom and His righteousness, His personal relationship, character, will, ways, promises. Matthew 6.33 
Invest the talents and gifts we have been given and keep reinvesting. Matthew 24-29 Be about the Father's business of making disciples no matter where we are going or what we are doing as a practical job, work assignment, business, or ministry. Matthew 28-18-20 Boast about nothing we ever have or do except our relationship with Christ. 1 Corinthians 4-7 Work and not be idle so as to be a model and not to others. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-12 By good leadership, provide for our families, especially our immediate family. Timothy 5, 8 On the first fruits of all our injuries. Proverbs 3, 9, 10 Do everything we do, no matter how menial, for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 Live such good lives among the pagans in the marketplace that no one will be able to honestly say anything bad about our attitudes, works, or actions. 1 Peter 2.12 Work with a servant's attitude no matter our position. 1 Peter 2.18-21 Always labor for rewards of eternal value that will make it through the quality test of fire. Matthew 6.19-21 And 1 Corinthians 3.11-15 Learn to choose content, whatever our circumstances. Philippians 4, 12 and 13. D. Summation Statement of the Covenant of Work For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jeremiah 29, 11 and Ephesians 2.10.